You cannot take a chemical engineer and make him a data scientist and vice versa. But if they understand each other and they understand the context and they understand the challenges, you will be amazed of the innovation that they bring then to the table. Hello, my name is Omri. I'm a general partner at NFX Bio. And today we're doing something special. We want to send out the bat signal. We want to call the tech entrepreneurs and show them that they can start a tech bio company and change the world. So with me will be Yogev Debi, founder and CEO of Mana Bio. He was my co-founder at Genome Compiler, the company we ran together. A tech guy studying in Intel now doing his second tech bio company, and he can explain all about the transition between traditional tech and bio. So let's jump right in. So Yogev Debbie, great to have you here. People don't know, but we've known each other for many years now. You've been my co-founders, Genome Compiler, the chief operating officer. So being together in the trenches for more than five and a half years, we got it done. And what people don't know about you, and you know, I'd be happy if you start with your background, is that you started in tech. You didn't know anything about bio, and you made the jump. And now we see a lot of people, a lot of tech people, they made their fortune in tech. They want to have the impact of bio coming back to bio. The kind of joke is, how do you make a small fortune in bio? You start with a big tech fortune. <laughs> so maybe we'll start with that. Like, can you tell us more about your background and how did you get to this point? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, thanks for uh, having me here. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Omri. So my background is, as Omri said, computer science, as you said. And I actually got jetting. I worked at Intel Corporation. So I started as a software engineer, then became team manager, program manager, uh, really working on real tech, you know, wireless devices. You know. And after uh, about almost seven years at Intel, we met. And you told us about this crazy idea of uh, DNA, like synthetic biology and synthetic DNA, and everybody is going to synthesize DNA and edit genes, and we have to have software to edit genes. And it sounded like you know science fiction at the beginning. We were talking back in 2010, which was really early days for this. I mean, it was even before CRISPR was discovered. Nobody <laughs> knew what it was. So I remember coming to your lab at Stanford when you did your uh, postdoc, and we saw that uh, you know the luxurious lab at Stanford, and you're working with pe- actual pen and paper, and you know we're like software engineers. This like sounds so bad. Like this is how you do science. This is how you treat. Uh, how you make drugs. This is crazy. So I think that was the first step into this uh, huge world of biology and starting to understand the differences. Yeah, so you joined me in this crazy journey and pipetting like monkeys in the lab to making a IDE or a CAD tool for biology, such as our company Genome Compiler. So there you moved from, you know, being a manager at Intel to being a chief operating officer in a software company for biology. So how was that transition? Yeah, so we started Genome Compiler on this idea of, uh, you know, people are going to edit genes and they need software tools. And what we did is an audacious vision of let's create, you know, .NET for DNA. So that was the idea. And I remember a few occasions where starting with this episode at uh, Stanford, when we saw that uh, you guys work with pen and paper, then when we started creating the actual software, Genome Compiler, and we showed it to users and we were in this mind that, oh, everybody's going to use it for sure. And then we presented it to lab scientists on the bench. They didn't even have computers. So that was crazy. And then the people that had computers, for me, it was an amazing opportunity to use our software skills to really change people's lives on the bench. Because when we show them some simple features, which uh, for us, it was simple application, user interface application. And for them, it was, they showed us actual booklet, physical booklets with tables and charts and diagrams, which they used to use on a daily basis. And when we show them like 
interactive application on our software, it was like showing a calculator to a caveman, you know, it was like mind blowing for them. So for us, it was crazy to see that even though, you know, I didn't have any scientific background, I honestly think I'm not smart enough to be a scientist a PhD, but it was great to know that uh, using engineering mindset and software skills, you can actually make an impact, you know, on these people. And then later on, obviously on like, Yeah, impact people, uh, impact humanity on that. So that was uh, great. Like on the team aspect, I can say that one of the challenges that we got really early on was that we as software engineers and, you know, all the tech people, you're used to get some uh, kind of product requirements, right? From the product people. And they say, you know, this is how it should look like. This is the problem we're tackling. Just, you know, just go and do it. And then you want to figure out how to do it. What's the best way to do it? There is never a question of, uh, can it be done? I mean, in software, like, yeah, everything can be done. It's just a matter of how long will it take? Who are the people to do it? What's the most efficient thing? And what are the priorities? In biology, there is the initial way. Can it be done? We didn't ask ourselves this. When we came to Omri and we asked him, you know, should the software behave like this or like that? I mean, what's the, what really the, product requirements, what should the flow be? And Omri is like, well, in biology, sometimes it works like that, sometimes it works like that. I don't really know. Nobody knows. So it was like, okay, how can we you know, implement and develop any software application here, which we don't know the underlying requirements. So sometimes it will work, sometimes there will be bugs. Yeah, yeah. So it's been quite a ride, right? You know, and a learning experience, right? You know, five and a half years in the trenches, building software for bioengineers, seeing the price of uh, synthesizing DNA going down along the way, being in all the SynBioBeta conferences. It's been quite a ride. And then we were lucky enough to get acquired by Twist Biosciences, a company making DNA, where I became the head of Coldplay for Twist, and you stayed in Israel and led the Twist Israel, the entire group, right? Yeah, so that was quite an adventure and the whole, uh, yeah, the acquisitions. I mean, it was great because we felt, and, you know, you know, we talked about it a lot, we felt that we're actually joining this uh, huge revolution. And finally, you know, we're joined forces with, uh, with another uh, company that actually complements us. So that was great. And I think that one of the uh, interesting things that happens also after the acquisition, and for sure, even before in the compiler, was that, you know, managing people that uh, come from these two different worlds. So on one hand, you have the, obviously, software engineers, they're writing code, that was the competence of the team. But on the other end, you had lab scientists, so Omri yourself, but then other people as well. They have uh, room in the team from giving uh, requirements, talking with users, marketing, customer support, QA, you know, we, we hire biology. And I think that uh, mitigating this gap between these two worlds was something, you know, you need to really give education to the two worlds of uh, how to speak with each other and how to accommodate the challenges, you know, of each other. Omri, you came one day, it was a few years before the acquisition, you came back and you say, you know, this is this new thing called CRISPR. It's going to change humanity. It's a gene, genome editing and it's going to be a Nobel Prize one day. And nobody knew even how to spell CRISPR. It was like, what is, like, we're, you know, we're kind of working on the trenches of the coding, you know, debugging to the middle of the night and here come this uh, CEO saying, they say, hey, this CRISPR this is going to change everything. And uh, after a few years, it was there, like it was out there. And I remember that, you know, when trying to explain people, so when I became the general manager of Twist Israel, part of my mission was to also some kind of um, give, you know, uh, pitches and talks about the new generation of genetic engineering. We call it genetic engineering 2.0 or synthetic biology. And when explaining that to tech people, and that's because, you know, my background is tech, so it was easy for me to think as a tech person, you know, biology is really different. Why is it different is because that software essentially is made by human, right? And 
you know, we created software. So we we understand it as complex as application can be and as complex as challenging and challenging tasks that you as a computer uh, programmer get. Eventually, you know, we understand software and we build applications and complex things on top of that. And biology or DNA, it's like the code of life. And, you know, nobody created, I mean, God created it or evolution. And there is no documentation. And now we're trying to design it. And now I'm explaining here, I'm talking to the tech people. Imagine that you have a software, underlying software code, which there is no, like usually there is program counter, runs from zero, like down and there is one. And uh, in biology, it's not that. You have first, you have multiple program counter, and then they're not starting in, at point zero. They started wherever. I mean, you can think about it as randomly. It's not random, but we don't understand. So, you know, it depends on environmental parameters like temperature and stuff like that. So really, it's really hard to understand. And then it doesn't go from zero to, you know, down. It goes both directions. So five to three, three to five, right? So, you know, imagine how you can design stuff on top of that. And then uh, can you hack things like that. So this is crazy. And then come CRISPR and CRISPR aims to change code in runtime, like while it's running in a living person. So that's all crazy. It's a real science fiction. And now I'm so happy it's coming to reality. Yeah, it's so funny. You know, people, you know, I remember talking to my partners about mammoth biosciences before we decided to invest in them. And I told them, like, I don't know many things, but I know that this is going to win the Nobel Prize. And indeed, uh, Jennifer Donner, the co-founder of mammoth, actually won the Nobel Prize a few years afterwards. But that was the easiest call ever. Yeah, and biology is a spaghetti code that, uh, again, no documentation. We didn't invent it. It's the most complicated, most advanced technology on Earth. That's biology. But the impact is so humongous, like the ability to feed people, to cure people, to provide for humanity and the environment. It's just amazing using this technology. So so you've been in Twist at its peak, more than $10 billion company, and then you joined Monday and helped them IPO and become a really big company. And now you decide, you know, forget that. I want to go back to biology. And you start a company called Manabio that uh, I'm very grateful to be able to invest, like close the loop and be in the board. It's great. Now it's your time to suffer as a CEO. That's great. Hopefully the next $10 billion plus company. So can you tell us what make you go back to biology? And then if you can explain what uh, Mana is doing. Yeah, of course. After this uh, journey, you know, I talked uh, one day with uh, Roy Nivo, my longtime business partner, which you know very well. And we said, you know, it all was, very, by the way, it was also at Monday.com that uh, time. And, and we said, you know what, forget it. We have to start a new company. We have two requirements. One, it has to be something impactful and preferably in the life science business. And the other one is it has to be something with software because we understand software. And so we tasked ourselves with finding this next challenge. And it was obvious that we're going to need another co-founder, another scientific co-founder, because we need someone from the science background. And so we went on for a few months of ideation, talking to people, right? We we didn't think we're going to bring the next idea ourselves. So we talked with many people, PhD professors, MDs, people in the academia, investors, entrepreneurs. And eventually after a few months, I think you actually introduced us to two professors from the Technion, which is the kind of the MIT of Israel. One of them, Avi Schroeder, is a chemical engineer, an expert in drug delivery, nanotechnology. And the other one is Kira Dinsky. She's a machine learning and AI expert. And both of them worked at that time at part of the academia on the idea of leveraging machine learning and AI in order to predict uh, lipids and lipid nanoparticle formulations for drug delivery of uh, gene therapy, of nucleic acid-based therapeutics. And we met together. And uh, first, we fell in love with the people. So Avi and Kira. 
And then we also fell in love with the idea and understood this, the rationale of this. For me, it's very exciting because the opportunity that we have here is that, you know, for the past decade, I mean, uh, people working on this CRISPR and synthetic biology, and it's clear now, well, I, I said before that people didn't know how to spell CRISPR. Now it's almost a household name. CRISPR, RNA, mRNA with the COVID vaccine and everything. So everybody knows that the next modality of therapeutic and vaccine is going to be based on nucleic acid uh, therapeutics. So whether it is CRISPR, RNA, DNA, different types of RNA, right? But then apparently the bottleneck there is delivery because it used to be the case for other drugs that delivery was kind of not a must or you could use something generic. But now with nucleic acid therapeutics, you have to have something which is tailored, tailored to the payload, tailored to the a target organ that you need to reach. So you have to have delivery. I like to think about it as if you're an astronaut want to fix the space station, let's say the astronaut is like the CRISPR. So you cannot just walk to the space. You need a space shuttle with oxygen, seatbelt, pass the atmosphere, land safely, etc. So this business of building space shuttles, it really needed on one hand. On the other hand, it's really hard. And when we're talking with delivery companies, they say, you know, it's really hard. As I said before, biology is not known. The, log the underlying logic is not really known, not understood well enough. So it's really hard to come up with the new designs of new space shuttles, especially if you want to overcome great challenges like targeting different organs in the body with different types of payload, etc. So delivery companies, which are all you know, really smart scientists, super smart people, but they're all doing what they call real science, which is trying to rational design, make it with rational design, which is really hard because we don't know the underlying logic. So what we do in our hypothesis is let's leverage on the other end, we have currently almost on the shelf, machine learning, AI, talented people that know how to develop these algorithms. So let's use that, apply that on data, on relevant data, either generate data or take existing data, and then come up with a platform to predict new delivery vehicles. So new lipids, lipid nanoparticle formulations, and then we'll be able to actually deliver these nucleic acid-based therapeutics to different organs and cell types in the body. So that's the idea. We were really lucky to have you uh, as part of NFX leading our seed round about a year ago, and together with Lionbird, which uh, by the way, Lionbird also sits on this intersection of software and life science. So we're really fortunate to have you guys invested in our seed round. And today, you know, we're one year like just celebrated on our anniversary we have many achievements uh, along the way but i think you know this uh, kind of tech bio spirit is really really part of the company right now so just to clarify the delivery problem right you know when people think about drugs they think about going to the pharmacy getting a pill popping it in their mouth with some water and that's it that's a delivery it's just get into your gut and spread to the to the body and it just works but then new modalities of drugs like protein antibodies you cannot eat them because they get degraded in your stomach you need to you know get them through an IV and then the new modalities of nucleic acid if you try to eat them, they'll degrade. If you try to put them through an IV, the body will react negatively to them because naked DNA and RNA usually means viruses are attacking us. You know, you don't just have like random DNA and RNA in our bloodstream. So you have to cover them with something. You have to create a shuttle that will direct them to the right cell type to affect that cell type. And that's the huge problem of delivery that we're trying to solve with a combination with a real tech bio platform company that has a combination of AI, machine learning, but also actually physically, chemically synthesizing those molecules and testing them on living things to see if it works and then closing the loop and learning from that and you know creating new delivery options uh, for patients.
Yeah, exactly. And I think the point you hit on this intersectional integration between these uh, two types of expertise, I think that's the opportunity that we have here. Because if you look around, most of the companies, at least in the delivery space, as I said, they focus on real science and it's really hard. And that's why they, they told me, you know, we don't understand the logic. So it's like based on gut feeling or intuition. You know, that's the way people uh, do drugs. I mean, it's not scalable. So they tell me this is why it's, it takes so much time and so much money to do it. And so our hypothesis is to really shrink the time it takes to find the, let's say, clinical candidate in like weeks instead of years. So that's our vision. And in order to do that, that's the only way I believe today to do that is the integration between these two worlds of real scientists. We still need you know, wet lab and everything. But on the other hand, tech people with tech mindset with tech skills that, by the way, ask naive questions. They, they are not biased by whatever they learn. They don't need to be unlearned of some biases on their uh, you know history. And so it's really funny to see that, you know, sometimes it's really simple to make huge steps. You know, sometimes if you just make a simple script of generating uh, numerous candidates to test and then sort them in some way will save a few days of work for a chemist, for example. So we see this on a daily basis where the software engineers come and sit actually in the lab. This is very important to you know, integrate the people. So the software engineers, they come and sit in the lab. They see the mundane work. And, you know, the number one thing that mostly bothers us, like tech people or software people, is that if when you see, you know, a manual work happening more than one even one is bad but if something mundane happens more than one it's like it hurts you know we cannot tolerate it so immediately you think about automation you know it's a human nature to be lazy so tech people they take laziness to the next level which is hey we have to make automation and when i say automation it's really simple it's software automation no robotics you know you don't have to have it uh, always uh, so in software it's really simple so you automate things you make scripts and you make life much more simpler so the scientists, they have now time and they have their minds free to think about these problems and challenges. So when we combine these two worlds, we get a really like one plus one equals you know, four and plus. So the main reason I want to talk to you today is because we go to academia and we see amazing IP. We see just this most incredible science that can really change the world and make huge impact in people's life. But the kind of culture we have in biology is not very entrepreneurial and people are missing the founder, the entrepreneur that can take it out of the lab and run with it. And we see a lot of people that got trained in entrepreneurship, in technology, and they would like to do something with impact, and they would like to have the impact of bio, but they're not sure that they can do it. So somebody who's doing it, you don't have biological background, you have a software background, and it's now your second tech bio company, like what translates well, what works, and where do you need help? Like, how can we make more people in tech come and start companies in bio? Yeah, so that's a very good point. So first, the gap between the two worlds is real. I mean, there is gap. I think that a result of uh, what we described before, that uh, you know, software people, since the underlying technology is known and computers react really fast, so everything is really rapidly. I mean, you get feedback on the spot, so you can improve your software, you can get results. And once you change a bit in the software, you can on the same day, you can see results from the market. It's amazing. I mean, think about if you could develop a drug and see the reaction of the market after a week. Like, it's mind-blowing, right? And in bio, it's not the case, obviously. Even living regulation aside, it's not the case because it's really hard. Science is really hard. But I think that in tech, what was developed in the 
past, you know, the, the many years that the tech exists, is this culture of first, you know, everything is possible. And then a result from that is that many cultures evolved on the basis of not on like doing curiosity-driven science, but on doing like R&D, which is just how you make things most efficient, the best user experience, the best value for money, you know, R&D, etc. So you have a lot of good concepts, which results in impactful work and prioritized work and focus work. And I think when you take these into the scientific world, I mean, you cannot make a scientist, you know, just give you a work estimate, like it will be two days and it will be two days because he doesn't know because everything is curiosity, but you can still push the boundaries and you can ask questions, which will lead to better answers in terms of the management, the self-management of the person, like how you manage yourself, how you want to measure yourself, how you want to spend resources. So if we talk about tech, you know, since everything is so rapid and fast, there is a huge competition, but you have great rewards and you have many people working on that. And there is a lot of capital. So in many cultures, you know, the culture is kind of uh, spend money and don't waste time. Just let's save time and spend more money and get results faster. I feel sometimes in science, in bio, people are working from the uh, opposite way of let's save money and on the expense of time. And so even though it is still like real science or not, you know why? The main reason is, you know, you do most of the science in academia and in academia you don't have money and the workforce, the PhDs are for free. <laughs> so they don't care. Yeah. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that then in the bio, the culture evolves much because of the academia. I mean, many people that work in bio companies, they grew up in the academia. It doesn't happen in tech. In tech, you finish your degree after what, like three years. Most people don't really do PhD or even masters. You don't really need that in order to be super effective and you know get well compensated in the tech companies. So after three years in academia, which is totally just undergrad, right? You are out for industry and you make all your career in industry. So you learn at the big companies, small companies, startups, but it's all business oriented. And in science, you spend a few good years in academia on research, even before you work in a company. So this is kind of, you know, so it makes your cult self, uh, the, the DNA and the culture as in academia. So things like, you know, yeah, we know it takes time. You know, it's really hard even to evaluate people's performance because, you know, you're making an experiment and then you get the results after six months. In tech, after six months, you already fired him six Times. Like it's uh, <laughs> the or hired, you know, great people in six months. So the turnaround time from idea to results is something which is meaningful. Anyway, it makes tech people to be thinking in, in a process oriented, which is like very structured, very process oriented, like very structured. And they all also invented all these mechanisms because the problem with tech is not like the problem in science, right? The problem in tech is how to do it most efficiently. It's not like, as I said, not like whether it is possible. So we invented, I mean, tech people, they invented mechanisms of how to make sure that we work in a focused, most impactful way. So, you know, tools like everyone knows, right? Agile development, you know, the sprints and daily stand-ups and all of those tools that uh, make sure that the team works most efficiently and the results uh, come uh, in the best way, etc. So when we at MANA, for example, apply that, you know, it's funny. In the beginning, it was funny. Like the scientists, they didn't even understand it. 
why do we need daily stand-up? I mean, every day it's the same update, right? We're still working on it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We're still working on it. But then Roy, which, you know, he is an amazing person, amazing leader, amazing executor. And he said, no, I mean, guys, you need to update. What's your plan for today? Even though, and it is okay, you know, not to reach, I mean, yeah, you defined the goal and you didn't reach it because one, two, three. Still, you have to report it out. You have to say, what are you going to achieve today? Even though this task, I don't know, synthesize this molecule, whatever. Yeah, it's a three days work, but break it down into days and define what you need to do today. So uh, task breakdown, better planning, you know, uh, better focus. These are all concepts which uh, they were evolved and got matured in the tech, but they certainly have place in the bio, in the scientific world as well. I mean, we see it every day. This is so important what you're saying here, because I think, again, we're trying to get more tech founders to come to bio and you know their reaction is like what do we know about bio and then my answer usually to them and to my partners when they want to evaluate a bio company is 80 percent of the company is the same no matter what the company is doing it's sales and marketing and management and support and all of that and then if you're in a tech bio company and you understand the tech side you know the tech side you know the 10 percent of the tech side and then you just need a very strong bio partner to complement you and you can be a ceo you can be a coo you can be CTO of, uh, of a tech bio company, even if you don't have a background in bio, at least that's my experience. Does that fit well with your experience? Yeah, it's a good point. You know, it's kind of, uh, you're hesitated in the beginning because you're not like, I feel that I will not be the one that comes with a scientific innovation, right? It will not come from me. This will come from the science, it's from the scientists. And there is a gap. I mean, obviously you don't understand the material, right? The way I think about it and, and to mitigate it is first, you know, ask questions, be humble. You know, don't assume that you know things. And I think in the beginning, you know, in the tech days, back in the days, it was like the senior people were kind of, uh, they thought they were the smartest. It's not like that anymore. So for a long time already, even in the tech, Mm -hmm. people are humble. They're not like the smartest people in the room. So I think that we're used to not be the smartest people in the room. So you need the humbleness of, uh, you know, even like sometimes it's even how... So think about code review. Okay, in the tech, like when you develop software, there is always the manager is doing code review, we understand, etc. And here we cannot really do code review, scientific review for the scientists. We can still ask questions and learn every day. I think you know, this is the most important thing is to get the right resources to learn. Now, I don't mean learn because you need to replace the scientist and be a scientist yourself, but learn in order to understand the language so you can understand better when they describe you a problem or whatnot, how you can best help. And and I think you're absolutely right on the getting the right partner, which has the scientific, uh, you know, skill. It could be a partner. It could be just, you know, the people in the team that each one is an expert in his field. So what you really need to do is to find the people that can help you vet and screen the right people for the company. Because I could not hire, I mean, the lead chemist in our team. What do I understand with chemistry, you know? So we need to have the scientific co-founder for that to vet and say, you know, this is the number one uh, person in Israel. So, okay, so, you know, no brainer. Like I just need to do some kind of an HR interview for him. That's it, right? So I think that's a huge lever and it helps in the tech world, you know, that the network is important. So here it's important even more because the network will really help you bridging this gap of the actual knowledge. And I also agree that uh, most companies are similar in the same of, you know, the, the fact that I know to run boards and talk with investors and tell, you know, the stories and stuff. I mean, yeah, I had a huge ramp up to do 
in the scientific world. And, you know, I think that at some point, by the way, sometimes I feel in discussions that it comes to my favor, the fact that I'm not a scientist, because it's like, okay, you know, I'm not a scientist, but they appreciate the fact that I know enough to handle the conversation. So one, I don't get too hard questions from, uh, you know, be a potential <laughs> BD uh, opportunities and, and stuff. And second, the conversation is different because they appreciate, you know, my position on different uh, base of uh, skills and, uh, you know, and achievements. So I think there is even an advantage being a tech uh, co-founder or tech CEO working on bio company. So a lot of the audience of the NFX podcast are tech entrepreneurs or just general tech people. In your experience, what do they need to learn to become a tech bio founders? So number one is a hunger to learn. Like every day, use every opportunity, whether it is the online courses or the mentors or just or people from the team. I love learning from people from in the team because for me, it feels that uh, you know, I learn from the best resources because they're the best. And also it's kind of part of the culture of the company. You know, it's like, I don't know something, I ask. So it's role modeling for them is that it's okay to ask and there are no stupid questions. So ask the people, lever them. And then I think specifically between tech and bio is that we need to appreciate that, you know, the fundamental thing is so different. I mean, things in biology, it's not deterministic the way we are used to. So this is why everything uh, collapsed from there. You know, the, it's not known. Experiments take forever. It's not because the people are slow or lazy. <laughs> it's because sometimes it is the nature. So we need to develop the patient for that and also to be mind of this situation. So learn from other people, is it okay or not? Because if I would run into a company, then I can assess our performance, right? Because I know if something should take that amount of time or not, I know whether the people are good or not in bio. I don't have this. So I need to trust some network. I need to trust neither people, etc. So it's a different paradigm. That's what I like to say. It's not only a different kind of programming language or a different operating system. It's a totally different world that we're entering into. And one of the things that I'll say, two more things. One, for tech people, especially I would say for uh, CTOs or, or CEOs, which are more uh, kind of uh, technical, we love the mind challenge. We love challenges, right? And we look for engineering problems and we want to solve them with most advanced and sometimes uh, it results in complicated solutions. In biology, in bio companies, I think sometimes, bear in mind that sometimes simple is enough. Sometimes when you produce a simple solution in the software mindset, it will be a jump for the bio aspect in terms of a solution. Because sometimes a simple script or simple uh, spreadsheet generation or something like that, will solve uh, days or weeks of works. So don't jump into the too complicated solutions because everything else is complicated enough. I mean, now we have a problem in the lab that something is not work and it's like a voodoo. In software, we say voodoo. Well, there are no real voodoos, but we, some, when we don't understand, we say there is a voodoo. In biology, there are a lot of voodoos. Every day there are voodoos. I mean, you order a chemical from a different vendor, you expect it to be the same, suddenly it's not the same, right? I mean, we know it. You put it next to the window, there is some reaction with the sun. So it's not deterministic and we need to make sure things are as simple as possible. Well, I think it is deterministic, just uh, very complicated and, and dimensional. Okay, <laughs> But yeah, it is yeah. deterministic. So you talked a lot about a lot of learning, but what would you say would be the one advice you give somebody from a tech background who is interested in tech bio? So I would say two things. One you're fortunate 
to find a way to really you know use your uh, skills background experience etc on something which is so purpose so you know keep that in mind be proud of what you do and this is this is amazing like me I, I said I, I'm not smart enough to be a scientist and PhD so I'm really grateful that I can contribute my skills to do this uh, bump in the world this is great I think that the number two I will aim the uh, the CEO or the leaders that are going to uh, to start the company or to lead the company which is from these two worlds is it's essential and important for actively working on bridging the gap between the two types of people in because if you have a tech bio team it means by nature that you have people which are on one hand software engineers or coming from the tech background on the other hand you have people right from uh, from the lab the scientists bench scientists etc these two groups of people they are so different I mean so my advice is put a proactive effort on bridging the gap. by educating by bringing people sit in the lab taking lab people putting them in the office you know with the perks and everything because these two groups they have to speak in the same language and I think the main gap the, the basic gap is language and people need to understand themselves people need to understand each other they need to understand the challenges and the perspective and the different backgrounds from each other and when doing that, You're not only you know smoothing the environment in the office and making a better teamwork and like make it easy. This is your opportunity to really make the teams suddenly create real new innovations because that's the real diversity that you have. I mean think about it, it's not a disadvantage it's an advantage to have this kind of a multidisciplinary team. So take the advantage. educate the team make sure that people really start I mean you cannot take a chemical engineer and make him a data scientist and vice versa but if they understand each other and they understand the context and they understand the challenges you will be amazed of the innovation that they bring them to the table it's amazing I love to see it every day I see it and software engineers starting talking with chemistry you know when we used to laugh at a genome compiler some words that you brought up and we didn't understand the words and we laughed about them but you know eventually you see this uh, collaboration between the team members this is amazing that, like that would be my number one uh, advice is to take it all the way don't try to separate many people try to separate the groups don't do it it's a great uh, advice how to bridge the gap because again the gap exists but bridging it actually can create a lot of interesting synergies and new innovation so one thing that I really admire about mana that came from your background in tech is how fast you move You move really fast and people are amazed at how fast you got the result and how fast you're actually improving your results uh, so what other mindsets and skills can people bring from tech uh, to tech bio companies yeah when I think about it and you know it's, it's a good point that uh, we are moving fast and I think it's also a combination coming from the tech industry which is mostly like industry focused and business uh, driven and need to get results fast etc in competitive environment and also you know being experienced let's not forget that I mean uh, it's not a first time to happen so so when Roy and I were in this uh, ideation phase looking for the next challenge and before we started mana we actually did the nice exercise we said you know what we already know from our tech experience and experience in entrepreneurship we know how the company should behave in terms of culture like we don't know what we're going to work on we don't know what the purpose is but other than you know we know that we want to work on life science and software we know how the company works in terms of values and we sat down and actually written the values for the company which were uh, uh, impact ownership 
quality and teamwork. So impact is like, you know, make sure that you have an impact, everything that you do have to be impacts of the company towards the, the goal, etc. And ownership also is like something which is, hey, you know, this is the way for us to move fast because it's not just that me, like myself or Roy, we need to make every decision in the company. I think that this is very important because we knew we are going to enter into something that we don't know enough. And uh, we have to have people that have this kind of sense of ownership. Like they know, our, like the chemists, the chemical engineers in the company, they know that they have to make decisions every day. And they have to make these decisions in light of the goal, in light of the purpose of what we want to achieve. But they have to own their issues. And obviously, you know, it's under the context that we give them on you know, budget, they know like the limits, etc. But uh, it's very important. And the uh, same for uh, quality and trust, you know, like people have to work uh, in high performance, etc. and teamwork, which is obvious. So for us, you know, I think that being so much uh, time in the industry, you know, amazing companies, Intel, Genome Compiler, Twist, Monday.com, I mean, great companies and we learned a lot. And in the tech industry, again, since it's so competitive and so fast, I think, you know, in the tech, the as a result of the fundamental of how it works, it became uh, competitive. I mean, you develop software so fast and you get feedback so fast that it's in your nature. So we get sick when things go slow. And by slow, I don't mean like, okay, sometimes things take time, you know, it takes time to calibrate a new robot that just arrived in the lab, you know, it takes time. People need to come, you know, it's okay. But what makes us sick is when people are not focused. And this is for us, uh, like it gives me, like itch, it itches me. It's like, oh no, you're working on the wrong thing. Oh my God. So we train people. We don't whip them like this is what you should do. On the contrary, we train people to test themselves whether they are uh, focused. So whenever somebody is not uh, focused, I start with myself and it's my problem because I didn't communicate the focus well enough. So this is the first step to make sure the focus is communicated, the goal is communicated. Everybody in the company, by the way, they know almost everything, like everything is transparent aside of you know salaries and cap table. But people know where we stand in terms of business development, in terms of the, uh, the plan, in terms of even in fundraising. I mean, they know, you know, not all the bits and bytes because just a lot of data, but they know where we are. They know we're raising money, etc. So people are kind of part of the headache uh, that the leadership have, right? So they're part of that. It gives them motivation. And it also also uh, makes sure that they are focused and they know. And by the way, they also come with great ideas. And sometimes, you know, they bring ideas which, you know, are great and for sure better than my ideas. And I love it. I just love it. When people come with new idea based on the context of the company, based on the goal that I defined, and they come with something which I didn't think of, wow, it makes my day. It makes my day because that's scalability. That's scalability. That's great. We have this culture of uh, transparency. Yeah, so transparency really makes the team, again, they're motivated and they know what the problem is. It used to be the case what was expected from people to bring the solutions, right? Like it used to be in, in the early, early days, like the manager was saying, you know, this is the problem, this is the, so the solution, go and execute, right? And then there was a the revolution and people say, like manager saying, this is the problem, find solution. Right. But I'm saying, you know, this is the goal, go find the problems, like go find what would not work. And that's a real, I believe, you know, and Roy and I believe in the, in the Navi and Pura, like this is the real scalability. And this is the real leverage that we have from the people because everybody in the team, especially, you know, in the startup, especially in this early stage, uh, but even later stage. And by the way, it doesn't matter in this case, it doesn't matter whether it is a scientist or software engineers, bio or tech. It's this sense of, hey, you know what? 
this is the goal. The problem is like, go find the problems. I and mean, you're the chemist. So <laughs> you know what the challenges are of synthesizing these molecules. Uh, you're the formulation guy. You know what the problems, you know what equipment to order. So I should trust your judgment, right? So I think that uh, transparency is something that uh, we learned in the industry. It's now becoming more and more wide in the tech industry, transparent, uh, impact, all of those. I think that these values should be applied in the culture of the companies. I have to say that you know, the bio people in the team, they are sometimes are shocked. I mean, they're, they're not used to this kind of culture. In the beginning, they were not used to it. Like it was a shock for them. And we trained them and they saw all model and they saw that we are good with getting feedback from them. And now it's working great. And I think this is something which every tech bio entrepreneur should uh, implement. Great. So hopefully we already persuaded the tech founders in our audience that uh, they can become a tech bio founder themselves. Uh, but then the question I'm sure they're asking themselves is, you know, how do we start? How do we find the right science? How How do we even know the science is interesting or real breakthrough, right? You know, how can we evaluate the business? It's a new business for us. So as a tech person studying in bio, yeah, I can do it. But how do I know that this is the right approach and this is the right breakthrough technology? Yeah, it's uh, tricky, of course. So what we did, for example, we talked with a bunch of professors. We talked with uh, CTOs and it was hard to evaluate. I mean, we couldn't evaluate ourselves for sure. At some point, you have to have the network to kind of screen it. And I think that what worked really well for us was that, you know, with you guys and the other uh, potential investors and just throw on them uh, the ideas and saw the reaction. So in In some way, we leveraged the combined knowledge and combined experience of people that see these kind of crazy ideas every day, which is the bio investors, the biotech investors, or the tech bio investors, even better. And then you guys already did the market research, right? You saw many companies in the space, and you can give some intuition whether at least the market is there. So obviously, the team is on us, and then there is the technology part and the market part. Right. So team technology and market market, you can do market research, but we use the smarter people uh, or more experienced people to tell us, yeah, the market is huge. And then technology, that was the, the important part to kind of understand whether it is uh, going to work or not. So that's the DD that we did together with our co-founders. And that's what the people should really do is I would recommend, you know, talk with people, talk with the people that offer this idea, talk with potential uh, investors. If you're already experienced uh, or tech entrepreneur getting into bio, it means that you have some network. Most of your network are probably tech-related, re- uh, but hopefully you have some uh, people that have some bio skills. And if not, Omri is here. <laughs> uh, you should talk with Omri and other <laughs> investors. And so I think that this is the technology that you should do. And then on the team, you need to trust your co-founder. So I would say that one important aspect for that is whenever you hit an idea, which is driven by uh, some, let's say, PhD or postdoc or professor in uh, academia or whatnot, make sure like, what's the availability of this person. Is he going to join you full time? Is he going to join you as a scientific co-founder? Is he not going to join you at all? And just want to out license you the IP I think that's the very important part of the puzzle I wouldn't start mana on my own like with Roy alone we had to have uh, both Avi and Kira involved they are still involved very much they're not full-time in the company they're not on the payroll but uh, we made sure that they are involved and they care about this and so you know that's the ramp up that, that you have to do great so you heard it first tech founders 
you know, you made your uh, big fortune in tech, you want to make your small fortune in bio, and more importantly, you want to have real impact in curing, feeding, providing for humanity, uh, just using the most advanced technology on earth, which is bio, to solve some big problems. You can do it. You know, your Gav did it, and he's doing it right now with Mana, and you can do it uh, too. And I encourage you to start, and don't hesitate to contact us uh, if you have this crazy idea and you want us to vet it, uh, or other tech bio investors, but uh, definitely you can do it, and we encourage you to do it. We see too many bright minds going to optimize ads. There are huge issues that can be solved with biology. Yeah, you can really help feed people, cure horrible diseases, and we encourage you to do it. You can do it. So thank you so much, Yogev, for you know showing people that it, it can be done and being my partner for so long, and especially in this new company that I'm sure would be amazing. And uh, hopefully this discussion will help encourage more tech founders to come to TechBio and help change the world. Thank you very much. Thank you.